Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like me, one simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating also makes this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that'll make this type of abuse worse. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma, and Rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need real support, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org. We'd love to see you in a session today. I am delighted to have Dr. Robin Stern on today's episode. She is the co-founder and associate director for the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and a senior consultant at the Yale New Haven Hospital. She is a licensed psychoanalyst with 30 years of experience treating individuals, couples, and families. She's the author of The Gaslight Effect, How to Spot and Survive Hidden Manipulation Others Use to Control Your Life, and... The Gaslight Effect Recovery Guide, Your Personal Journey Toward Healing from Emotional Abuse. Dr. Stern has been a guest on many local and national radio shows and has traveled widely to lecture on emotional intelligence, women in leadership, and relational bullying. Welcome, Dr. Stern. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you so much for having me on this show and for for doing this work to help women. I'm delighted. Let's just start with the definition of gaslighting, since you're the gaslighting expert. So gaslighting is a form of manipulation in a power dynamic where the person more powerful seeks to sow seeds of doubt in the person less powerful in order to lead them to question their memory, their sanity, their character. What is their intent in doing this? Gaslighter's intent is to, most of the time, destabilize their gaslighting, to cause them to wonder if they're going crazy, to stay connected to them so that they, the gaslighter, become the source of stability and reality and undermine the ground they're standing on. Are you familiar with the allegory of the cave by Plato? Yes, of course. We use that allegory of the cave quite often. And instead of having the fire and then people walking in between the fire with the shadows, we just make the man the fire itself, and he's holding up these objects. So basically, he wants to be the person who is defining reality. Oh, one other thing, Dr. Stern, I talk in a gender segregated way because this particular podcast is specifically for women who have been emotionally and psychologically abused by men. And that works for me because even though gaslighting happens in every relationship and any relationship, the pairing that I've seen most often is women and men, where the man is the gaslighter and the woman 
is the gaslight tea. Mm, okay. Yeah. So we'll use those pronouns today. So we give that example quite often of that allegory where he is setting himself up as the person who's defining reality and keeping her oppressed and keeping her stuck. And that, that's interesting that you also say that, that they want to be able to define reality for this person. More than that, I would say that they need to be able to do that in a moment of feeling particularly anxious or triggered or out of control, a gaslighter will go to gaslighting to feel more cohesive, to feel more grounded, to feel more in control. And so it's not just, I want to do this. It's, I need to do this in order for me to feel less fragmented, in order for me to feel whole and in control of the moment and in control of the relationship. <sighs> control. It always comes back to that. I have heard some people say, well, everyone gaslights, but just some people are more dangerous than others. Sort of this example that maybe a mom might gaslight a child into like eating a salad. What would be the main difference between telling a child like, oh, of course you like vegetables, eat your vegetables when they're like, I don't like vegetables. <laughs> what would be the difference between that and someone who is intentionally deceitful? Just what you said. There is an intent to deceive in order to maintain control in that power dynamic. And most importantly, it becomes the core dynamic of the relationship. So in a moment, a mom might gaslight a child either to eat a salad or not eat a salad or eat their vegetables. Or my favorite is when you go into a grocery store and you see a mom grab the child's hand and say, you are not hungry. You're tired. And in that moment, sometimes you'll see a kid saying, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm really hungry. And then the mom says it again. I don't know, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm tired. So the message is not just vegetables are good for you or you're not hungry, you're tired. It's you don't know what you feel. I know what you feel. And in that way, it's similar to more diabolical gaslighting, if you will. But there isn't an intent to cause harm. There isn't an intent in the example that you gave. For the most part, I would say there is not an intent when parents are gaslighting. I'm guilty of it myself, I'm sure. My, my kids have, who are grown up now will once in a while say, uh-huh, I think you try to gaslight me. <laughs> but in the gaslight or gaslight tea dynamic that causes people pain that causes people to feel like their souls are being destroyed and their identity is being destroyed, there is that intent to, to harm and to destabilize someone and to lead someone to deny their own reality, even something they actually saw or heard in favor of the lie or the made-up reality of the gaslighter. So the gaslighter can control the reality. And what we were talking about before you started to record, just about people who are, for example, having an affair or seeking out porn to gratify themselves. Those are things that most men don't want their partners to know about. So they will lie and then they will gaslight so that the wife or the partner or girlfriend can be kept off track of what's really going on. And it's very common. So, honey, you know, I haven't been able to reach you when you say you're working late at the office. Like, I'm nervous. What's going on? Are you seeing someone? Are you 
doing something like what and our sex life it's just not been so honey what's wrong with you why are you so paranoid and that happens once and maybe the woman even thinks you know i am feeling a little paranoid it still doesn't answer the question of where he was so of course it already threw her off track but by the second time or the third time or the nth time that he says you're paranoid when she asks him a question he does not want to answer the gaslighting is thinking to herself maybe he's right maybe that is a problem for me and maybe that is our problem that I've been so paranoid that I don't trust him. If maybe I trusted him more, we would have a better relationship. And we wouldn't be having these arguments. Exactly. When reality is, you wouldn't get any arguments if he was not having an affair. Exactly. But you don't know that. Yeah. And one case in, in particular that I'm thinking about, one man reported to me by a woman told his wife that, uh, it was her fault when she finally found out that he was having the affair. He said, well, of course I'm having an affair because you won't travel with me on my business trips. And my patient, who was devastated, couldn't believe she couldn't convince me that he was right. Because, of course, it becomes a closed loop. Like, if she traveled with him, he wouldn't be having the affair. So isn't it her fault? Because she didn't travel with him. It's a closed loop and it's also a very dangerous loop because let's say she does start traveling with him and then he might say, well, when you travel with me, you need to be at the hotel right at eight when I get back and we need to have sex that night, right? And she's like, well, wait a minute, we got in a fight. I don't really want to have sex with you. And he might be like, well, even though you travel with me, now that you're not having sex with me on this trip now, they're always going to move the flagpoles. Right. So tell me about the three types of gaslighters. Three types of gaslighters that I identified in my book or in my 30 years and then wrote about in my book, the glamour gaslighter, who is like it sounds, but brings glamour into your life, buys you gifts, showers you with love and affection, tells you you're amazing, makes you feel like the most special person in the world. And that the two of you are soulmates. You have something that is so special. And after he has gaslighted you, after he has been missing for a couple of days, or after he won't answer your questions or has lied to you, and you're feeling confused and crazy and complaining about that, he will come in and shower you with everything I just said. How amazing you are. Don't you know how much I love you? Oh my goodness, don't focus on that. Tonight we're going to the theater. We're going out for dinner. I love you. This is candlelight. This is magic for us. Any way that he can use love with a capital L and romance and his big personality to distract you from what's just happened. So that what you're focusing on then when you look at the picture of your lover, your husband, your boyfriend, you're focusing on like, yeah, he did that. And that totally sucks. But he told me the most special person he's ever met. And he adores me. And I can feel our connection. That connection's amazing. So I'm just going to move on from this. We call that grooming, too. That's the grooming part of the abuse. Of course. Like getting into a cult, right? Right, yeah. Because I say the word grooming quite a bit. But I'd never really thought of it as 
gaslighting. It's really interesting because gaslighting is such the perfect word for when you feel like you're losing touch with reality, but it also covers grooming and then it covers, you know, emotional and psychological abuse and all different kinds of things. So it's an interesting term because it overlaps all kinds of other things that are the same thing, but have different names. You know, people are not born gaslighters, but it works. And so some people who are not necessarily coming to gaslighting for diabolical reasons or because they want to harm somebody else, find out when they happen into it that it works. It's very effective in keeping somebody connected to you and keeping someone dependent on you and looking to you for standard setting, for reality setting. Because when you are feeling anxious and you don't know what reality is, if you're with somebody who's telling you that they are certain of what reality is over time, that's where you're going. The second category or type of gaslighter is the good guy gaslighter. So if that good guy gaslighter were right here with us now, he would be affable and pleasant. And uh, he's someone who people really like. He very accommodating and very even in the way he approaches you and talks through things. And hard to spot the good guy gaslighter because often you end up getting what you want on the surface. Like, for example, if the woman decides, let's give her a name, let's call her Janine. Janine decides she wants to visit her family for the weekend and her husband Doug doesn't want to go and says, you know, I really don't want to go. And I don't know why you want to go. We never really have a good time. And they start like that. But he's very pleasant and they continue on the conversation so that each one of them has some room to talk about what they think and what they feel about going to to visit. And the conversation is going on for hours, for hours. And she's exhausted from it. She's like, you know, after all, I, I just don't care. I just want to go. And so finally he says, all right, you know, I'm, we're just going to go. They go. And while they're there, he's basically pouting and not engaging in conversation. And then in the car ride home, he's basically punishing her, you see, and, and telling her hey, they didn't really want us to be there. And it was, it wasn't fun anyway. And it was basically miserable, but at night, when she gets into bed and she's exhausted and doesn't want to be intimate, because, you know, I'm I just, I'm just not feeling great about this weekend. He said, I don't understand. What's your problem? You got exactly what you wanted. So he's manipulating her into feeling like, what is wrong with me? He's right. I, I got to go. Never mind that the conversation about whether they should go or whether she's wanted or whether it will be good lasted so long that she was depleted and exhausted. Never mind that he punished her when they were there. He was there and on the way home. But there's something wrong with her for complaining. <sighs> exactly. <laughs> I just hear your so breathing. Frustrating, right? Ugh. And then you say to your friends, I don't know what's wrong with me. Because he does everything I want. You know, I get my way, but I'm just not happy. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's the intimidator gaslighter. And the intimidator gaslighter is just, as it says, somebody who's a bully, somebody who uses verbal abuse, somebody who might be on the threshold of using physical violence. And like in the example I was sharing earlier, somebody came to my office and, and said, I don't know if I'm being abused, Dr. Stern, because 
I came home late from work and my husband doesn't like it when I come home late. And so he feels abused and he tells me I'm abusing him. And so then when he puts his hand around my throat or he is physically violent with me, he says that he's not abusing me during that time. He's just reacting to my abuse. And so even without the physical assault, just like yelling at you or trapping you somewhere or like berating you or something like that. Yeah. Berating you, telling you you're a moron, more berating and being critical and screaming and, and again, cornering you perhaps. And I was studying at that time and we were studying subjectivity and reality. And several of the people in my class were talking about how you can't tell someone that they're not being abusive. Like I couldn't tell someone, they said, that they're not being abusive because their reality was that the guy felt abused. And so he, she maybe was abusing him because he felt abused. And so we got caught up in this very like high level conversation about it. And I ended up saying in class and along with several of my colleagues supporting me, well, whatever you want to call it, this woman has to move out of that house because um, she's in danger. And you can figure out what it means to have abuse that you're not feeling like you're abusing somebody, somebody feels abused, and you can have that conversation. But if you're saying that she ought to stay till they figure it out, which is what I was hearing from them, I just don't agree. Maybe this is a confusing example, but I think that there's something important about that people will try to convince you of realities that may be very different than the way you see the world. Well, that are frankly false. They'll say, well, I'm not having sex with you because you're emotionally abusive, for example. The man might say that to the wife. She might be like, why, why aren't we having sex? Are you having an affair, right? Or why, have, why aren't we having sex? Is it because you're looking at porn and masturbating to porn? And he'll be like, no, it's because you're emotionally abusive to me. He might say something like that, which is just actually not true. Like she isn't. She's asking questions. She's curious. She's wondering what's going on. She genuinely cares. She's trying to figure it out. We have found that these types of psychological abusers, they feel oppressed when they can't do what they want with impunity. It actually does feel oppressive to them because they're like, she's stopping me from soliciting prostitutes or she's stopping me from doing this. And it feels like she's oppressing me, not realizing that he is actually oppressing her and that the reversal of victim and perpetrator roles that I would say are one of the favorite things of perpetrators to go to when they're trying to defend themselves is gaslighting in and of itself. It's also abuse in and of itself. So so when when people listen to these two people and they're like, oh, we don't know who the abuser is because she says he's abusive and he says she's abusive and we can't figure it out. I want to say, well, she's telling the truth. She is being abused. And his accusations that she is abusive are abuse. They are gaslighting. And he's doing it to destabilize the situation like you talked about before. Absolutely. It is very interesting to get into a conversation about reality, but it has nothing to do with what's going on in the room very often. It reminds me of 
when I was in high school and people would sit around at the end of the party and, and people would say, you know, what do you think reality is? And they would have these conversations that could wind in and out and then um, go on for hours. But in a situation where you can't confront the person you're living with because it will result in abuse, or you can't move out of the lane that he has set up for you because he will decide it's abuse and begin to abuse you about it. There's no question who the abuser is and who the target of that abuse is. Yeah. To go back to your example, which I think is interesting, it's also what they're trying to achieve. So for example, um, a lot of times on this podcast, I will get men who will write bad reviews or angry emails and they'll say two contradictory things. They'll say, number one, I am not the abuser. My wife is, and you convinced her that I'm abusive when I'm not. And she's terrible and awful and she lies. And they'll say all these terrible things about her. Then they'll say, and it's your fault that our marriage is over. Like, you were the one that caused this to happen. And I want to say, like, wait a minute. And same thing to the people that you were having that discussion with at the school. It's like, hold on a minute. If he genuinely does think that she is abusing him, rather than physically intimidate her or abuse her back, wouldn't he want to get to safety? Wouldn't he want to move away? But then they lose control. So they don't want to move away. They want to stay close. And that's also an indicator that like, mm, no, the end result that you want is to be able to maintain control. Whereas the end result that she wants is safety. Those are two totally different things. I think that's a very important point. And in the work that I do at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and in all of our work, we encourage people to give themselves and others permission to feel. It's also the name of my colleague's book, but in permission to feel, it's very important that you allow all of your feelings and that you don't judge the feelings you're having. So maybe it is true that in that moment, maybe we would say to the abuser, what are your feelings? But then importantly, what you do with your feelings is another story, right? So we want people to have their feelings. We want people to, to own that when they feel unpleasant things as well as when they feel pleasant things and be able to explore all of it. But it's what you do about your feelings and with your feelings and in a relationship, how you bring your feelings in in those moments of co-regulating that really is what we're talking about. Dr. Stern and I are going to pause the conversation here and she is going to join me again next week. So stay tuned. If this podcast was helpful to you, Please help us reach other women by pushing that follow or subscribe button and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping get the word out. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.